0: Good morning, everyone. Since our first reading and our gospel. The subject matter uh, is about prayer. And in both, there is a different approach given. Uh, Abraham approaches in one way, and then Jesus uh, talks to us and tells us how to do it another way. Uh, But in our first reading, Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom, which is a city that is in chaos and full of uh, people doing wicked things. And uh, in this city, Abraham does have family members, but he seems to be troubled by the idea that innocent people will be punished along with those who are guilty. So he begins to uh, bargain with God. And uh, while the story of this event uh, speaks about persistence in prayer, uh, absolutely, um, I believe it shows how Abraham approaches God, but even more so tells us God's response how does God respond uh, to what Abraham is doing with him, talking to him? We will see Jesus in the gospel, and I'll get to that. Jesus uh, has us approach God in a different way, and um, both of them are prayers. Uh, even what Abraham is doing is considered prayer. Um, St. Paul tells us that through baptism, the Christian dies to their old self, to their perhaps errant ways or to wicked ways, and they are to rise now to new life. And uh, certainly by God's grace, as has happened, and by faith, but by prayer. Uh, prayer assists us to rise and to live that resurrected life, that newness of life. So, my friends, uh, in Jesus' time, it was customary for every uh, notable rabbi or prophet of the time to teach his disciples uh, many things and certainly a unique way of praying. But typically, the prayer that was taught by that rabbi or that prophet usually incorporated uh, the demeanor of the prophet himself, what he was teaching. So some of the Lord's disciples, uh, remember, were previously John the Baptizer's uh, disciples. And uh, they probably have discussed this. John taught us how to pray. So one of Jesus' disciples says, Lord, teach us a unique prayer for us. Jesus responds with what we know as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Luke and Matthew give us particular forms of this, of the Our Father, that is familiar to them, or how they remember it. The version before us today is by Luke, and it is the shorter version. Uh, The prayer, uh, if you will, um, takes on uh, the form of two sets of petitions, and I wanted to talk about the Our Father. We say it often, and because it's a prayer that's said often, sometimes we don't even realize what we're saying you don't understand the structure of the prayer. And because you don't understand the structure of the prayer, you don't quite understand what it is you're asking. Um, because if you did, you it would certainly fill your heart with joy, but it comes with great responsibility, the prayer. So my friends, the first set refers to God. And the second set refers to ourselves. Jesus teaches us to address God as Father. In Matthew um, he will tell you, say, our Father. But you notice in Luke, he said, say, Father. And uh, the former uh, is probably the more original of probably what Jesus said. Um, and either way, it teaches us how to not only structure prayer, but how to approach God uh, in this. And Jesus is saying, you approach the Father now in heaven with great intimacy in the very same way that he himself does as the only begotten Son of God. Um, Jesus teaches us, however, that uh, in this prayer, uh, our prayer, our first concern must be that of God's concerns, and uh, not our own. That first concern would be the triumph of God's cause, and as his children, we want what the Father wants. That's what Jesus did. He wanted what the Father wanted, so he says, now I want you to do the same thing. He wants us to be concerned with the Father's concerns and to desire what the Father desires. And that uh, in this case, with this prayer, it is to fulfill his purpose uh, in our world as it is already in heaven. Remember, your will be done here as it is there. So it's already being done in heaven. And this is what we're asking for in in this prayer. So we pray that God's name will be hallowed, In our times, I suspect maybe in Jesus' time, but even in our time, the name of God is often disrespected. People don't know what it actually means. And uh, they misuse it. So, you know, when we say, Hallowed be your name, uh, may you be praised on earth and blessed as you are praised and blessed by your creation in heaven. And we pray uh, that his will be done obediently and lovingly On earth, as it is already being lovingly and obediently done in heaven. In praying this way, we are praying for the success, then, Jesus Christ is God. So we're praying for the success of Christ's mission of salvation, redemption, and the reign of God, meaning the reign of God means that his ways are done here on earth. My friends, then when we look at the prayer, the next thing that happens, we move Um, from the Father's desire into our own. When asked for the daily bread, and certainly you should, and the daily bread could mean food for sure, uh, but it's that thing that sustains you and your family. Uh, Bread here generally uh, is is a symbol for welfare, our own welfare. So um, if one's general welfare for themselves and their family is not happening, is lacking, this is the thought that would have been in Jesus' time also. Then you cannot properly worship God because you're concerned about other things. You can't be concerned about him uh, and what he wants. So, um, so it's like it's good. Give me what I need, my daily, my daily bread. And uh, Jesus teaches us then, uh, it's different from what Abraham was doing, <laughs> uh, but he says, now you approach God as father. In the same way, a child approaches their father or their mother with the same expectation, I suppose, but also with the same intimacy and certainly with the same persistence. Uh, I've been around families close enough where I hear the children, I want the cookie. I want the cookie. Can I have that cookie? <laughs> and the parent, no, not right now. <laughs> and then finally the parent, no. <laughs> you know, um so, But you see the persistence, but also with the confidence that the child approaches. Um, and my friends, certainly the scripture, Jesus will tell us, if God the Father provides for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how much more will the Father provide for his faithful children when they turn to him for their daily needs? You'll see this, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's Luke twelve twenty-two. The next part of that prayer is we ask for forgiveness. My friends, go back and look at the prayer again. We ask for forgiveness, but we ask for it on the basis of our own forgiveness of other people. Mutual forgiveness among the disciples of Jesus was a precondition of God's forgiveness, particularly in the last times. Go and see Matthew 6, 15. We also then, finally, the peace comes where it says, we pray that we do not succumb to temptation, but are delivered from that which is wicked. Uh, which are two ways of saying the same thing, really. Um, so I'll give you the classical understanding and interpretation. This has been interpreted in, um, so that in the time, uh, this comes from the book of Revelation, in the last times, the testing that is accompanying those last times, God's kingdom, we may not fall prey to the evil one. It has been understood also that in the terrible outbreak of moral chaos and great confusion and violence, book of Revelation, pieces, just before the end, when the powers of evil seem to have gained victory over the disciples, remember Jesus is speaking to his disciples. We are the disciples today, so it applies to us. That we will be spared and the apostles would have prayed that they would be spared, um, if you will, from the full impact of the final test. Uh, So today, how would we look at that? Perhaps today the test, the trial, or the temptation would be an attack on our faith, not only personally but towards the church, but also a decline of faith. And my friends, I bring this up because Jesus asked, and you'll find this in Luke's Gospel, Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Our withstanding of the attacks on faith against the church, um, perhaps maybe that is when we pray the Our Father, maybe that should be on our minds and hearts as we pray it, to be delivered from these things. Certainly, each one of you have things that you want to be delivered from, whether it be illness or despair or fear, um, Delivered from any type of human weakness or even from spiritual poverty, please include those. I'm not saying don't, but I'm asking you to really look at the prayer and its style and how it was, how Jesus put it together. So, for all of you, in all prayer, you can structure your own personal prayer the same way Christ has shown us how he prayed to the Father while he was on earth. Huh? So, my friends, certainly, uh, may you and I be given the grace needed to withstand our trials of the day. And for some, it's many. May we have the grace to survive whatever test and whatever way or form that it presents itself to us. But also, let us pray that we have the perseverance in faith and hope and love, not in despair, in faith and hope and love when the cross comes. And Jesus said, your cross will come for you and you are to pick it up and carry it. And maybe you won't be laughing, but you don't have to do it in fear and despair. The Christian has joy in all things because Christ has triumphed already. But it is, for some, their crosses are severe. And as a community, then, we are to help them in that moment. So, my friends, when we look at our readings, our readings offer us an opportunity to relearn how to pray in the form that Jesus himself used The Lord's Prayer is both a prayer, but it is also a study or a schooling on prayer. It is certainly a great gift from Christ to each one of us. The Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, however you refer to it, is a teaching on a prayer form and the intent of the prayer, and this prayer helps to shape our hearts and our minds and acts as a balm for the soul. My friends, what a great gift then to have the Our Father. But we say this prayer so often that sometimes we can rattle it without even thinking about it. And whenever you approach the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus in prayer, what are you asking for? You know, and sometimes you, you need to be very, very specific uh, because sometimes He does answer, right? He always hears. And that's what the parables, those odd parables that Jesus gave is about, yes, about persistence, but it's about God being generous. But he says, you know, if you who are not so good know how to discern what is right for your children, how much more does a father do this? And what Jesus is saying that no matter how God responds, he hears you. Because I still hear people talking about, I've been praying for a year now for, and I'm not getting it. So God isn't listening to me. The parable, that parable, when we look those parables, tell us, no, he is listening. But he has discerned that that is not what you need in this moment. And we're going to have to be okay with it. <clears throat> so my friends, uh, know that he hears your prayers always. But as a, a, he knows what it is that we need. Sometimes he gives us what we want. And uh, sometimes he gives us exactly what we need. But he always listens. So it's heartbreaking when someone says, Father, I've been praying and God does not hear my prayers. I think he does. <laughs> He's just discerned something different for you. Uh, and we have to learn how to be okay with that. So, my friend says, more and more people begin to return uh, to uh, the pews, coming into the churches after being uh, at home watching Mass on TV in their pajamas. <laughs> with their cup of coffee. I'm telling you what people have emailed me. Uh, um, I've been trying to, um, and I beg you from a pastor's heart, when it comes to the Eucharist, we are Eucharistic people. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We must show respect and reverence for the Eucharist. And uh, so my friends, I remind everyone when you come up for communion, the expectation of other churches that uh, you will physically show that reverence uh, because uh, God reads your heart. So when you come forward, give a bow, not to me, to the Eucharist. And then when the minister says the body of Christ, your response is amen, not thank you. That is what you do when you return to the pew. You thank him for the great gift. That is the proper time. Um, My preference is for receiving on the tongue, but Mother Church allows in hand or on the tongue. Uh, When receiving on the hand, remember please to consume the Eucharist immediately. Please do not walk away with the Eucharist in your hand. Uh, We need to see that you're consuming it, and that prevents uh, any abuse of it, meaning being left in the pew, which we had a few months ago. Uh, So I can ask you to please consider... uh, um, being very very careful. This is all, and if you notice your pastor being irreverent uh, in any way towards the Eucharist, you certainly as a disciple need to come and tell me. That's your responsibility also. Father, you did not show proper respect, and then that way I can take a look at it, take it to prayer, and make sure uh, that I am doing so. It starts from the top to the bottom. If I am not showing due respect and reverence, the disciples won't either you know, as the pastor, uh, the disciples here in the church won't. So uh, I'm hoping that as, you know, folks, you've just, you know, sometimes we forget some things. We've been sitting at home watching Mass on TV, and when we come back, we just lost a little bit of that reverence. So we'll continue working on that and towards that. Amen.